my goal is to move the genre forward, even if it's just by a degree, because that's what I owe my readership. That's what I owe the audience. They're trusting me with time that they're never going to get back. It's my job to add value to their lives. Just like all those authors that I talked about earlier added value and continue to add value to mine. Is that much of a, is that, that's not much of a change for you, right? My name is Kerry Kite. I used to load bombs in the Air Force, and now I'm a writer, a filmmaker, and an entrepreneur. Through using the post 9-11 GI Bill to go to college, working hourly jobs to pay the bills, and freelancing my way into a career, I've studied what it takes to successfully transition from service to civilian. And that study has become a conversation. On this podcast, I speak to other veterans, successful artists and entrepreneurs about their transition, what they did well, where they failed, what they learned, and most importantly, how they applied their skills. Episode 42 features Jack Carr, the best-selling author of the Terminalist novels, the executive producer of the Amazon Prime series of the same name, and the host of his own podcast, Danger Close. Welcome. This is Veteran Made. Thank you so much for, for joining. Um, I am a, uh, a big fan, big fan of, uh, of the novels and of the show and, and, uh, an even bigger fan of kind of the way that you operate and, and what you do for our community. So would love to just dive in and, and have a discussion, um, you know, along the lines of some like really granular, some crap stuff, you know, kind of want to talk about, uh, about transition, which is really what this podcast is about. And I think what's, what's cool about you is that you're, you're almost the antithesis of the podcast because so many, uh, veterans and service members have an idea of what they want to do when they separate uh, and then don't know how to do that. And so that's kind of what this podcast is, is a way to, to share some some stories and anecdotes and, and skills uh, between ourselves and each other for that. But you uh, grew up wanting to be a Navy SEAL and then also wanting to be a thriller author and kind of put yourself on that path from, from the jump. Um, and so I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more about you thinking about that as a child and like what it looked like for you to stay on that mission, you know, as a kid through high school and then and getting onto the teams. Yeah, no, absolutely. And jumping back to what you said about um, uh, veterans transitioning out um, and uh, trying to find that thing that they they want to do. I, I also saw as friends of mine got out that they had an idea of what they wanted to do, but that idea was formed based off something they'd heard from somebody else or uh, something that they, someone, maybe they had a talk, uh, a touch point with once or something. So they saw in a movie or something and then they got out and they tried to pursue that. And it wasn't really like what they envisioned. And now they had spent all this time and let's take something that takes a lot of time, like law school. Uh, so they studied for the LSAT, they got into law school, they went through law school, and then they ended up in you know, the private practice or working for a DA, whatever they're going to do. And it wasn't quite like what they saw on TV or in the movies or what they'd envisioned or what they'd read in a book. Um, and now it's like, oh, I want to go back to the teams. This isn't right for me. Uh, I, I, had, uh, I had purpose in the military and all that sort of a thing. So that's why I think getting out like that last year, it would be so valuable for the military to just say, hey, you have an intern project, or even if it wasn't part of the military program, as they were getting out, they went and spent a month somewhere, two weeks somewhere, uh, shadowing somebody in the industry that they thought they wanted to get into so they could say, oh, I'm so glad I only spent two weeks doing this. I'm only, I'm so glad I only spent a month doing this before I invested all this time, energy and effort, move my family for this opportunity and then get there and find out, oh, 
this isn't really what I thought. Uh, I want to go back to the military. I had purpose there. Uh, so it was really about finding that mission and that passion and then combi combining both of those to find your purpose moving forward. That's what I, what I found. But, but growing up, yeah, I was fortunate. I knew I wanted to join the military from a very early age. Uh, my grandfather served in World War II. He was killed off Okinawa in 1945. Um, so I grew up with uh, his, his maps, the silk maps they gave uh, aviators back then. He was a Marine pilot. Um, his wings, his medals, black and white photos of his squadron. I'm watching like the longest day with my dad, Hell is for Heroes. We're watching Black Sheep Squadron on TV with Robert Conrad portraying Pappy Boynton, who is flying the same aircraft that my grandfather flew. Um, so I knew I wanted to join the military early on and just was naturally drawn to it. It was in my blood and my DNA. And then I found out about SEALs. And once I found out about SEALs, I was, I was sold. Um, and I was in, that was about third grade. So from third grade on, that's what I wanted to do. So this is early eighties. So I'm going to the library with my mom. She was a librarian. So studying everything I can find on seals, which wasn't much in the early eighties. Um, but really looking at anything special operations related. So anything about army special forces, anything about Marine snipers, anything about CIA paramilitary guys, typically with, uh, uh, a touch point in Vietnam, like that's what you were finding back then. If it was a chapter, a magazine article, uh, rarely was it a full book back then, but studying warfare in general, insurgencies and counterinsurgencies, terrorism. Some of my earliest memories are of the 1979 Iranian hostage crisis and uh, Walter Cronkite counting down those days and me as a kid wondering why hasn't the U.S. gone to, to get these guys out. And I'm watching all these movies where I'm seeing uh, Americans come in and save the day. Like, why aren't we doing that now? Um, and that made, a, made an impact on me. And then all those headlines that came across our uh, kitchen table in the 80s, uh, the 1983 Beirut barracks bombing, TWA 847, Achilles Laurel, uh, things going to the Falkland Islands, uh, Central South America, then seeing Iran-Contra, like all those things that would be on the time of cover of Time and Newsweek and uh, on the newspapers, I would just be naturally drawn towards that. But Back then, you could essentially exhaust everything written about special operations in the early 80s to mid 80s. Um, and uh, so about fifth grade, that's when I started the transition from reading like young adult literature into what my parents were reading. That's when Hunt for Red October came out. Certainly by sixth grade, I was all into reading the same types of thrillers that I write today and, and read today. Um, and I'm reading Brotherhood of the Rose by David Morrell. Um, I'm reading The Charm School by Nelson DeMille. I'm reading things by A.J. Quinnell and J.C. Pollock and Mark Olden and all these guys who are masters of the craft back then because they had protagonists with the backgrounds that I wanted to have in real life one day. Their protagonists typically had some sort of a background in uh, as a SEAL or Army Special Forces or Marine Sniper or CIA paramilitary. That was where they came from. And then they were doing something else in the 80s. They were like a mercenary or they were a spy or they were something. Um, but I just loved those books and I loved escaping into the pages of those books. So I knew that after my time in the military that I would write. So what I didn't really realize at the time is that I was giving myself um, an education in the art of storytelling from the masters. Um, so I come to it from a fan perspective. And also I got to read those books without any of the filters that build up over time as we get older. So I'm just enjoying them for what they are. And like 1985, I'm reading the novelization of uh, Rambo First Blood Part Two. I'm reading Centrifuge by J.C. Pollock. I'm reading Oni by Mark Olden. And I'm just, but I don't have any experience yet in the real world to jade my enjoyment of those thrillers, my enjoyment of reading. Um, so that meant when I got ready to get out of the military, 
I didn't have to think, oh, what am I going to do next? Oh, I want to be a writer. What should I have been reading for the last 30 plus years? Um, I'd already done all that reading. I'd already built that foundation. I know what I liked. I know what worked. I got to read those books and then watch as they were adapted to television or to screen, to movies, and uh, and see, hey, what worked, what didn't, from my perspective, a fan's perspective. So that's really where I, where I come at it from, is that fan perspective and having built up really really educated myself along the way, unbeknownst to me at the time, I was just enjoying it for the love of reading. But um, now it's paying off because I can dig back and I can remember exactly where I was when I was reading all those books and which parts made impact on me. And all of that is a, is a part of my experience and finds uh, finds their way into my novels. Yeah, I mean, I love that. What I love Tarantino, you're, it's, it's, you're almost like the Tarantino of, of novelists, right? Tarantino says, I didn't go to film school, I went to the movies, right? It's like, you didn't go to creative writing school or college for that. You, you know, you went to the books, you went to the novels, you read the stories. And I think it's such a, a, a really uh, great foundation. And it's obviously paid off, as you said, but I think specifically something you were just saying about you, you, you read the stories, so you knew what worked in the novels. And then you also paid attention to how they got adapted which obviously has paid off recently as you've as you've adapted Terminalist for for television but also thinking about like what works for the audience right like not what works for critics not what's going to get you a pulitzer but like what is going to work for the audience for the people like you who are reading those books and want to enjoy those books and then watch the movie or the television series and and enjoy it as well as something both different and 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 related Oh, no, that's exactly right. In, in uh, sixth grade, I read uh, The Most Dangerous Game by Richard Connell. It's a, it's a novella, uh, short story. And uh, I remember back then even, well, telling myself that one day I'll write a novel that pays tribute to this short story. And I did that with my third novel, Savage Son. Um, but I remember even back then thinking about, and they, it was adapted to a black and white film. I think they did a, a newer one recently, but um, uh, but thinking back then, like, hey, who should play the protagonist? Who should play that, that antagonist? Um, and I dropped some, a few things in all the novels, really, that have a touch point with the most dangerous game, but more specifically, um, Savage Son. Uh, same thing, Louis L'Amour's Last of the Breed. Uh, this, my third novel is a, is, a, is a tribute to that as well, to, and to, to First Blood, um, and to Rogue Mail by Jeffrey Household. But it, I think it's important, no matter what you're going to do when you get out of the military or just in life in general, um, is to understand the history of the industry that you're going into. Um, so I'm so surprised time and time again, how many authors don't know the history of their genre that they're writing in. Mm. Uh, but just those ones that I talked about right there, it takes you from the early twenties to 1939 to, uh, 1972, 73, um, and then 1986. So that, that's a history of the genre. Each one of those things moved the genre forward a little bit. Um, and so that's always my goal as well is to move the genre forward, even if it's just by a degree, um, because that's what I owe my readership. That's what I owe the audience because they're trusting me with time that they're never going to get back. So uh, it's my job to add value to their lives, just like all those authors that I talked about earlier added value and continue to add value to mine. Yeah, I think what's cool is I've, Ryan Holiday said it a, a few times in, in a few different ways about you know each of your, your um, uh, sources are unique to you, right? So whatever your interests are, whatever you study, it, it, then what you make because of, of the influences of those things is going to be kind of unique to you. And so as I hear you talk about all these thriller writers, some of which I've read, some of which I haven't, um, but but I hear you really studying, not like how they did it, but just studying kind of what they did and then replicating little bits and pieces along the way. How conscious 
were you or are you as you right now on on just on like replicating sort of your 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 heroes versus just just kind of getting into it and doing that work and just kind of letting it flow from you yeah it's more flow because it's so much a part of me that it's not something where i open a book and see oh what did clancy do oh look at his first thing he does this he introduces something um you don't really know quite how it's gonna uh play into the storyline you picked it up knowing it's about jack jack ryan is the protagonist oh but you introduce him on chapter three okay let's write that down chapter three okay and then here and then oh now you get this person here who comes into play later let's write that down so it's definitely not academic like that at all. It is more just a part of my experience. Um, and, uh, and whatever comes out, comes out. Um, I didn't read any books on how to do something other than I read Stephen King's on writing, but that's more of an autobiography, which is why I like it so much. But yeah. I think you can study how to do something too much. And what's great about writing, is, especially for me, and it's not this way with all authors I found out, is that I have 100% creative control. No one at Simon & Schuster has ever said, hey, do you want to lay off the violence a little bit? Or, hey, do you really have to say this right here? That might upset some readers. Like, never have they ever even hit that. My agent hasn't, my publisher hasn't, nor have they said, hey, you know what you should do next is take the the protagonist here. Uh, that's, that's hot right now. Like, never has anyone even hinted at anything like that. Um, so it's much less, it's less academic than it is just a part of me and me wanting to be a, uh, uh, a good inheritor of all those things that the writers before me have built up so I can move that genre forward. Um, it's certainly not academic as far as how to lay things out. That's just very natural. Um, and however the story comes out is how it comes out. But I do, and I, I didn't get this from a book or anything, but just my process is also very natural, which is that I like to come up with a like one page executive summary first, um, kind of like the way you'd find in the, the book jacket cover, like to get you to read. And, uh, and so I ask myself two questions, is this worth the next year plus of my life? Uh, and if I was a reader to be reading this, um, would I invest time that I'm never going to get back into it? And if the answer to both of those are yes, then that's my next my next book. I come up with a theme that's going to guide everything. I like a title, even if it's just a working title, so there's no bandwidth that's wasted as I'm as I'm typing away, thinking, oh, I've got to come up with a good title for this one. I've had good titles so far. What if I don't have a good title? No, all of it has to go into making the story the best it can possibly be. So I have that working title. Uh, I have the, the one-page executive summary. I have the theme. I take that one-page executive summary, turn it into an outline, as good of an outline as I can, but I don't want to spend too much time there. Meaning if there's an obstacle in that outline, I don't want to ponder for days and fret and worry for days about how I'm going to figure that part out. Nope. I just go around it. Uh, and I know that over the next year, as I write, I'll be able to figure out solutions. I'll be able to, to aggressively solve these problems through my protagonist's eyes, or if someone else is having to figure it out. Um, but I don't let the outline stall me out if I run into some sort of uh, of a block. Uh, and by block, I don't mean writer's block. I don't have time for the writer's block. Um, and then I start turning that outline into, into the narrative. And as I turn that into the narrative, uh, I continue to update the outline because I get to know the characters more. I get I do more in-depth study of, uh, of some of the material. So that leads me down other paths that add to the story. Uh, and then I just keep, keep that going. And then I get to back 75% probably you would say if you were looking at it as an outline uh, and then I discard the outline completely and then I'm all into the story and uh, into that manuscript and that's how it's gone for all of them thus far and uh, and, and and so far the seventh one that I'm just starting now. Oh, that's awesome. 
Um, so how many times have you said no to either, either or both of those questions that you ask yourself when you get to that, that stage? Yeah, I haven't because, um, uh, well, I haven't yet. I haven't yet because uh, they're just, they're, they're, they're all stemming from ideas that I had initially thus far. So I, I wrote down like six, seven, eight, nine, I have to go back and, but somewhere around there, uh, different one page executive summaries. Um, and I picked the one to start. I wanted to start with Savage Sun, which is my third one, but I knew that the characters weren't right. developed enough to start there yet. I had to take readers on a journey and develop the characters enough to be able to examine the theme that I examined in that third novel, Savage Sun, which is the dynamic of Hunter and Hunted. Um, and, uh, and so thus far, I haven't gone through the work of putting together an outline or a one-page executive summary and said, hmm. No, this isn't worth a year of my time or mm, no, because I thought about it a little bit ahead of time. So I haven't had it happen sure. yet, but who knows? It might happen on book eight, nine or 10. And then I'll just. Well, that's why that, that's why you have the process, right? You have the process so that you know, you know what to do to, to click into the next gear. Um, was it difficult at all for you to, to have the patience to write the other two first before getting to the one you, you know, really wanted to write? Nope. Um, because I knew that I needed to come out with something that was very visceral and hard hitting out of the gate that was going to be a little bit different than something other authors had done because of my experience in Iraq and Afghanistan. I could bring the feelings and emotions behind certain events to the page. I didn't have to interview a sniper who was uh, working in uh, Najaf or Ramadi at the height of the war and then say, how did it feel to do this? Or, hey, how did you guys do this? Or, oh, okay. And then take notes. And then that those notes all of a sudden are filtered through other interviews that I've done, other books that I've read, other movies that I've seen, preconceived notions that I may have. Um, uh, instead, it comes right from my heart and soul directly onto the page. So the feelings are real uh, that the protagonist feels in my novels. And that's really stood out, stood out to Simon & Schuster, has, has stood out to readers. Um, and I like to write at a few different levels as well. Like you can, I want someone to be able to pick these books up and, and just have a great ride and, uh, pick it up on the airport on the way to the beach and, and just, oh, great thriller. Wonderful. Um, but that's first one, uh, it, it's been the truth, all of them, but that first one more so than that, it was really about someone who had become that insurgent, become the terrorist that he'd been fighting for most of his life. Um, and then even deeper than that, it's about someone who brings the wars from Iraq and Afghanistan back to the home front, to the front doors of people who have been sending young men and women to their deaths for, at the time when I wrote it, 16 years, but you know now, now 20. So, um, so yeah. I like to write a few different levels at the same time. Yeah. I, uh, I always picture, um, some like, like my, my grandma who's, who since uh, actually passed away and, and my daughter's named after her. She loved to read these types of books, um, and, uh, introduced me to, to a lot of the authors that you have on your list. And we used to read and kind of share them back and forth, which That's is really cool. I do cool. with my grandmother um, too. Yeah. I still have the same yeah, ones, the yeah. same Brotherhood Rose that we read. I still have the same charm school that we read. Yeah. Uh, so nightfall, like I have, we shared, yeah. uh, thrillers growing up and it was really special. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. She always, always, used to, always used to call herself a little old lady in tennis shoes. So I always picture some little old lady in tennis shoes going through some random airport, picking up one of your paperbacks and then opening it and being like, oh man, somebody wrote in this one and then putting it back, you know, cause you're always posting about, about yeah. sign, signing the ones in the, in the airport. Um, yeah. So the, the, the story has been, been, you know, you've told the story a couple of times about that Jared Shaw's good friends with Chris Pratt and, and Jared approached you, um, you know, after, after you had written the first novel and um, he remembered you talking to him 
and, and helping to prepare him uh, to, to, to retire, separate, you, you didn't necessarily remember that specific uh, interaction that you had with him, but you, you have said that you did that with, with, with all of your SEALs. You would sit them down and you would talk about the importance of transition, talk about the importance of being ready and maintaining ready, readiness constantly. Um, can, you, can you talk a little bit about, I know you were obviously thinking about yourself as you were, as you were preparing to become a thriller author after you retired. But what was it like for you to talk to the other SEALs uh, like Jared, who came in into your office? And, and what were some of the things that you told them and how did you uh, coach them to, to be ready and, and to, to find that next thing? Yeah, it was, it was less coaching and advice and more so just letting them know I was there to, to help because everybody has a different situation. Everyone had a different reason for getting out. Um, I saw a lot of people in the military that once they once someone dropped their papers, they were probably, they were put in this other category. And other senior level leaders didn't really help them. They looked at it as like, you're quitting because we have that whole quitting mentality from, from buds. And I saw that carry over into, uh, into service when someone decided, Hey, this is time for them to move on. And there was like judgment attached to that. And I never, I, I never had that. Uh, I wanted to help good guys. If they were staying in, I wanted to help them, um, reach their next milestone, whatever it was, or a rank, a school or whatever they wanted to do next. Uh, and same thing if they were getting out, I want to do everything that I possibly could to help that person make that transition, uh, into the private sector, however I, however I could. Um, so mostly it was just letting them know that, uh, if, if anybody else had, uh, uh, kind of, uh, dissuaded them or not wanted to help them, Hey, I'm, I'm here to help you as you're getting out. Thank you so much for what you've done for the country. Thank you. For what you've done for this team. Um, thank you for what you've done mentoring this next generation of warriors as they move up the, uh, up through the ranks. Um, and Hey, what do you want to do next? Uh, what have you thought about it? Where you, what's, uh, how's the family doing? What do they think about this? Um, and, and through those conversations, oftentimes you found some other things you could help with too on the, on the personal side, uh, that, that you only found out because you're sitting down, just letting them know, Hey, I'm here to help. Um, what do you want to get into? Oh, that, Oh, I know somebody who got out and did that. Or I know somebody, um, that I grew up with that's doing this. Let me see if I can reach out to them and see if they have any advice or they can connect you with somebody. And I was just very willing to, to do that. Um, because it's just natural for, for me to do. Um, and I happen to do that for Jared and uh, thank goodness, because if I hadn't, then we wouldn't have Chris Pratt, uh, starring in the, the terminal list who is exactly who I wanted to star in it. Well, before he was an A-lister, uh, an international star, he was Andy Dwyer on parks and rec, you know, a little overweight, pretty, you know, goofy. And then I saw his transition to a seal in zero dark 30, very, you know, smaller part. Um, but I saw that transition and I knew that I wanted somebody. And of course this is me. I'm writing in my essentially a small office off our bedroom in Coronado, California. But as a kid growing up, reading all these books, doing all, watching those, all these films, I didn't think for one second that this wouldn't become a number one New York Times bestseller and wouldn't be adapted to film. So might as well start picking my star and my director. So I love Antoine Fuqua. I love what he's done uh, with everything that he's, that he's worked on. Um, and so I'm like, okay, Antoine will direct. And uh, Chris Pratt, that's somebody, because I wanted someone who hadn't done something that was in this kind of, you know, revenge thriller conspiracy type thing before I wanted someone that was new to it, that needed to do it maybe to prove that they could as an actor, uh, and someone that was inherently likable, um, like Magnum was back in the eighties. Like everybody loved Magnum, Tom Selleck, the, uh, my mom loved him. My dad loved him for different reasons. Um, but yeah, everybody yeah. loved him because he could, he was, he was, he could be goofy. He could be funny. Um, and then he could flip that switch and he could get the job done. And he happened to be a former seal also. So, uh, so that was kind of what I, 
was thinking as far as an actor. So I just picked Chris and I picked Antoine. And uh, luckily, uh, Jared remembered something that I had uh, done for him years earlier and, and reached out to connect well before the novel came out. It was November of uh, uh, 2017, so months before the novel came out in March of 2018. And, uh, and I sent it to him and he read it and he gave it to Chris. And Chris chose it as his uh, next project. Thank goodness. And then at the same time, another friend, uh, Mark Owen, who was on the Bin Laden raid, he gave a copy to Antoine. And Antoine read it um, in December. Uh, Chris read it in December too, but Chris got it in November. And then they yeah. both wanted it at the same time. So here we are. It's your typical story, typical Hollywood story. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. It happens like that all the time. I, I was I was down in Alabama a couple of weeks ago making a, a short film with uh, with some friends of mine. And, and we've got a couple of other short screenplays that he wants to get produced. And it's got this one that might take some funding and 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 uh, it's it's kind of a dramatic thing. And I said, listen, the best way to get funding for something like that is to find the comedic actor. I'll say this is way, way below scale, obviously, of what we're talking about here, but to 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 get a, a, a comedic actor who might not get the chance to do something like this, they will take the chance to do this with you and, and perhaps um, offer some funding or help to get some funding along the way. And like, that's kind of that strategic sort of like, it's almost like you were, you were, yeah, born to be a SEAL, born to be a, a thriller novelist, but also born to be an executive producer, like thinking strategically and thinking in terms of of the business side. How much of that did you just observe and think like, okay, this makes sense? Uh, or how much of it did you know? How much of it was just, I'm just going to kind of go through this process and see what happens and think the way I think and operate the way I operate? Yeah, it's more the latter in that I looked at it the same way I looked at the, the battlefield in Iraq and Afghanistan, um, meaning you uh, you take a breath, you look at it, you look for gaps in the enemy's defenses, you look on how to capitalize on any momentum you may have, uh, and you figure out how to adapt quicker than the enemy. So it's really a constant game of adaptation. So as I crept closer to the publication of the first novel, I very quickly realized uh, once I uh, evaluated the battle space that uh, it was, there's a lot more to this than the writing. And if any writers are listening to this, I don't want them to waste bandwidth thinking about this because I didn't waste any bandwidth thinking about the business side before the book was done. Um, and I'm glad because that means it would have been bandwidth wasted um, and it wouldn't have gone into the product. So whatever the product is, it doesn't have to be writers listening to this. Widget, whatever your widget is, uh, it has to be the best widget that it can possibly be. And only when it is the best widget it can possibly be, then that's the time to start thinking about the business side of it. Um, and I don't mean that as an absolute, that's just how it worked for me. Um, and I'm glad that that was the case because all my energy went into making it the best widget that it could possibly be. Um, but as I crept up on publication, I always thought, oh, okay, this is different than a book coming out in 1975, 1985, 1995. There are things available to authors today that uh, weren't available to authors back then. And the audience is different. You are competing against streaming services, multiple streaming services. So many that we've lost count now. Uh, video games, uh, all the social media, death scrolling on Instagram and, and Twitter. Um, so there's so many more distractions out there than there were for an author in 1975, 85, or 95. And now you're in competition with those different platforms. And how do you compete with those platforms? You have to add something of value. Not only do you have to have something of value in today's day and age where things have progressed to the point where you actually feel a connection to people on social media, well, it's time people are going to invest in those people 
who they have a connection with that they uh, identify with. Uh, and by identify with, I mean that care about them and add value to their lives. So that's the, that's the route I took. So um, that's what I always want to do with it, whether it's the books, whether it's a social media post, whether it's a blog post, whether it's a video, my podcast, I want to add value to someone's life. Um, one, because I just, I don't know another way to do it. Um, but two, it is important today, uh, I think, unless you're, you can also be uh, a one-off and just write a book or a screenplay and not do any of those things That's possible as well. But yeah. you have the ability to connect with your audience or your readership in ways that you didn't 30 years ago. So you can choose to do that. Uh, well, maybe if you're <laughs> completely unlikable and not a very nice person, maybe you don't want to do that because then uh, yeah. maybe you can have the opposite effect. I don't know. But uh, so take everything I say with a grain of salt. I'm just kind of saying what I, what I did and what I noticed. Um, so so it's really building. And then, I, then, at that, then at that point, I would say in the lead up to the first book publication and then maybe a little afterward, that's the first time I started to think. And I'm not a good businessman. I'm, not, I'm horrible. I just, I'm just happy to be here. Um, but I'm a good entrepreneur. <laughs> I know I am a good entrepreneur, um, but the business side of it, I, 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 that's outsourced. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that's, I'm just, you know, it's just not. Well, you know, you've, you've, yeah, you've, you've, yeah, you've, you've certainly earned that. Yeah. Which is, which is great. Um, and you know, and it's been, it's been super fun to, to read along and, and, and watch and participate because you are, you know, you are you right on Instagram. I mean, I remember a year and a half ago when I was thinking about trying to get you on here, I messaged and you said, Hey, here's the email. Talk to him. I talked to him. We made it happen. You know what I mean? It's like this, this just like you, you, you have the system, you, you operate along, along the, the, the system and, um, and, and good things happen. Um, I want to talk a little bit about what transitioning from novel writing to, to screenwriting. I've heard you touch a little bit on it. You've talked a little bit about it. Obviously, you learned a lot from David DeGilio. I listened to that whole series where, where you all broke down uh, each episode, which was fantastic content and amazing for those of us that are that that are in the craft and 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 want to keep keep learning. Um, and then just obviously a lot of the cool kind of behind the scenes stuff. But what was it like for you to transition, uh, not just like from writing novels to to learning how to write screenplays and write screenplays, but also to continue writing novels, like? What what was the what are the craft aspects like? What was it like to be mentored and 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 then to also be the the you know the godfather of the of the source material too? Like how did you navigate that and 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 what were some of the specific things that were maybe difficult for you and on the screenwriting front or some of the things that were a little bit easier for you on the screenwriting front? Yeah, David Giulio calls me the godfather uh, as we go through through all this, but it's really all due to him that he and, and Chris and Antoine, um, you know, they wanted me involved from the get go. And David was such a great teacher, such a good mentor. I was just telling him that this morning, about an hour ago, we were on a call about the titles for the spinoff series that we're doing. So him and I are creating that one. So it's co-created by me and David. Um, and it's the, the Taylor Kitsch character, Ben Edwards, um, kind of his origin story, how he turned bad, um, how he embraced the, the dark wolf, essentially. Um, so we're going Can't wait for that titles and figuring out naming conventions and um, all these different different things. Um, so even that, but in that call, we're talking also about the upcoming writer strike and he's mentoring me along that way. We're talking about the different, so now we have a writer's room that's put together and uh, you're seeing the outlines uh, of the different episodes from the writers in the writer's room. And I'll do, he's writing the the, uh, the premiere episode, I'm writing the finale, um, but uh, we're still getting all those together after we created it and came up with like a broader kind of treatment. Well, now it's time to break that into outlines of each individual episode. So you're getting those from the different writers in the room and each one is assigned a different episode. 
So I'm learning about the, the process, uh, his process. Uh, he's teaching me about how other people do it as well and why he does it the way he does it. Um, so I'm just, I'm just a sponge and have been for the last three years. We sp first spoke in December of 2019 and we've spoken every day sense. Um, but I'm so lucky that he's, he wanted to do the project and that, uh, that he was available and that Antoine and Chris picked him and then connected us. Um, but so different than writing. Um, and for people that are you know, really into this and paying attention and want to be writers or screenwriters, um, they have watched the show um, and read the books. They'll see how when we started working on the scripts, how those scripts have influenced my writing, like they'll be able to, to tell. There are certain things in the last two books in particular that uh, wouldn't be there if I hadn't gone through this process with David and we hadn't created these scripts and the show and, and all the rest of it, um, but very different. Like uh, I would not have a call uh, with Simon and Schuster about titles. I just come up with a title. Um, and I know it's not the same way for every author, but there's no input. It's just mine. Uh, whereas this, guess what? We have our title, uh, our titles, it's go all the way up to the top of Amazon, all the way back down, title testing, all this. So very different. So that's just one example. Um, but uh, it's much more collaborative. Obviously, you can tell just by the way I described just thinking of the title or putting the writer's room together, whereas writing the books, it's totally a solo thing, which is great because uh, all... I can't blame anybody if no one likes the books. It's all on me. Uh, my agent doesn't give me any advice. My publisher doesn't give me advice. Editor, no advice. Um, they'll give notes back once the, the manuscript goes out. Like, hey, can you explain this a little more? I'm not really sure this makes sense right here. Can you uh, uh, set it up a little better in a few chapters earlier? Like, those are the kind of, of notes that I get. Um, and that, but that's it. Not, uh, hey, do you, mind, uh, do you mind doing this? Or this is what you should do next? Like, there's none of that. Uh, whereas in this collaborative process so many people are involved if, it, if the idea is hatched and is created with me and david uh, well then we get the writer's room together so now there's seven more people and then you have uh, the executive production team of chris and antoine um, so we have this brain trust and then it goes up to mrc which is the next level level up and then it goes up to amazon and everybody has their notes and it all comes then it all comes back down and so you take those notes and uh and, uh, and respond to them and some of them are great and then some of them are like well maybe we should need to you know talk to amazon a little more about why we're doing what we're doing and that sort of a thing so much more collaborative so many more people involved um but by its very nature, you're making a movie, you're making a show, you're going to have 350 people on set, you're going to have explosions, you're going to have a vehicle person, you're going to have stunt coordinators, you're going to have people flying through the air, you're going to have a, someone that needs to hunt down a 1988 uh, FJ62 Land Cruiser and make it look cool for the show. You're going to have all these people coming together at the right time and place to then start production and you're on a timeline. Uh, so it takes more than one person to do that. So uh, I like that it's different and I like that they're very different. I like that one is just me and one is super collaborative with more people than I can even mention uh, involved in bringing it to fruition. So it's uh, I, I love I love both and feel very fortunate that I get to do both. Yeah, that that's that's fantastic in terms of like on the page when you're going back and forth from a from a, a screenplay to to a novel um page obviously formatted very differently and dialogue is different and all, all these different things in terms of like the craft aspect of it is it um how, how do you like jumping back and forth between those two things it can be hard because i'm like wait a sec this uh who i, I 
who's our bad guy over here? What was, oh, geez. Uh, it just takes a second to transition back because they're two totally different projects um, and uh, same characters. But in the one I'm doing now, it's that's six books down the line or one that I just finished is six books down the line. And now we're working on one that's a spinoff based on character. So we have characters that are the same, one that we're creating out of whole cloth, essentially, um, and then one that I've moved forward that's six years down the line. So it's uh, so it's interesting to make those transitions back and forth. But the writing side of it uh, for the manuscript of a novel, I can just all of a sudden decide to write something semi-poetic or I can just decide, hey, I need to describe how this person's feeling right here and why. And well, you can't do that in a show. Uh, you have to have one line that sets it up in a in a screenplay, a screenplay, you know, uh, James Reese, yeah. uh, uh, close in on, on James Reese looking out a window. Um, and then right. one line of dialogue, one response, that's maybe three words. And in that amount of space right there, you have to do what I did with two paragraphs in a novel. So it's, uh, it's totally different. Um, but, uh, but I love both. I, I definitely love both. Yeah. Um, and I'm uh, much more comfortable writing the novels, but I'm just, I mean, I'm always constantly learning regardless, but I am learning at uh, warp speed on the screenwriting front, just because it's something I didn't grow up reading screenplays. I grew up reading novels. Uh, so it's, right. uh, it's a different foundation. I, I'm sure they inform each other, right? I'm sure it compounds, right? Just the, the, the learning and the, and the, the getting better just goes. Oh yeah, certainly. They certainly complement one another. Um, yeah. But, uh, but also in the books, I can. I'm not restrained by uh, budget, so I can have right, right. space aliens, uh, you know, appear out of nowhere. Whatever, whatever I want to do, uh, I can have right. the Golden Gate Bridge blowing up. I can have, you know, I can have all these things. Whereas Amazon might be like, eh, it's not on the budget. You know, you can't really, right. you can't shoot full scale war with tanks sweeping in into Ukraine or whatever else it might be. Um, uh, that's not in the budget. You have to figure out something else to do to get across the same, uh, uh, get the same end result that you, that you want, but not with a bunch of tanks rolling into Ukraine getting stuck in the mud or whatever it might be. For sure. Yeah. I think the thing I love about your novels is they've got the, all those, those big moments too. And then there's also those quieter moments, some of the ones that you're describing about, you know, how do you do that in a screenplay? But I'm very excited to see how, how y'all adapt that, that scene, the flashback with James and, and his father, right? Like that it was a very short chapter, I think in, I don't know if it was Savage 2 or 3. I've had it in a couple. So I've had the dad in a, in a few now. Um, yeah. But, uh, there's the one where they go to the, the memorial. Um, like yeah, that, that, you know, that was in, uh, in the yeah. blood, that last one in the blood. So, yeah. Yeah. I have other scenes that help show, uh, why James Reese is the way he is. And also I right. uh, put him in there because I might want to explore his dad in another novel. That's so I'm very, right. I am very cognizant of putting in characters that are fascinating to me that would allow me to then, and to the reader, uh, that would allow me to explore their backstories generationally. World War II, yeah. Vietnam, up to today. So that that was very intentional uh, to do that on on my part from the very beginning. That's smart. Um, I know you obviously thought about you pictured Chris while you were writing uh, James. Um, do you not think about the other actors as you as you write some of these other characters, oh, or I do. do you do you still yeah. picture them the way you originally did? No, I, I well it, the. Originally, uh, I had actors in mind for, I won't say everybody, but most everybody, uh, just because yep. as a child of the 80s, that's very natural for me to do. Um, and But then when we start going through the casting 
process. At least the first one, I didn't didn't know that I should tell the showrunner and tell Amazon and tell like who I had in mind. So now I do. Now I say hey, this actor, um, or I could say hey this actor, but this actor in 1970 or this actor in <laughs> right, yeah. this movie or whatever it might be, because then it just helps develop that character even even further in that writer's room and in the casting process as well, uh, which is fascinating in and of itself. I, I love the casting process. Um, and uh, but now I let's me think back because I've already completed the books, you know, so now then they became right. these characters that weren't in my head. I had different people in my head uh, as I was I was writing. Um, so now if I were to go back and read the first one, let's say Steve Horn. Um, I had somebody very specific in my mind for Steve Horn, uh, but we got someone else um, in the show who crushed it, Jai Courtney. Um, but I haven't gone back to read it, so I don't know sure. how in my head now, because yeah. I spent so much time with another actor in my head, um, and then Jai just crushed it. He was he was amazing. I wish we could use him as, as other characters actually in uh, <laughs> spinoff and in the next uh, in the next season. Um, but you know. That's just how it goes. Um, yeah. Uh, but so, yeah, so I haven't gone gone back yet and thought about that. Um, I'd probably, if I were to think about it, and I'm only thinking about it right here for the first time, uh, I'd probably say some of them I would think, think of now, like Taylor now, I, I think I think sure. about it. Uh, as Ben, I think he did. He brought so much to that role. That's that's, that's one of the ones that I th that I love. What Taylor did and what the screen uh, writing process did for that character that I think is much better than how I developed him in the first in the first novel. Um, and uh, a lot of that's due to the, the the writers, and a lot of it's due to Taylor and what he brought to that that character, Taylor Kitsch. Um, so uh, so yeah, I think some of some I think I was, as uh, have now become so that Taylor would be would be an example of that because I do mention him in in future novels and we're now doing this this spinoff and then some probably that I, some probably I don't yeah sure yeah um, okay I want to be respectful of your time we got about nine minutes left here uh, a couple more questions I'm I'm curious where you feel like the the credibility has come from um, and and because you've talked you know Simon and Schuster just lets you write, you know, Amazon has notes and, and, and you talked about the chain of command there and everybody has notes, but you've talked so often about, you're just like, oh man, they're just going to let us do this, you know? And it's so collaborative with, with Chris Pratt and Antoine Fuqua, who obviously have been working in the industry for a long time and, and, and command respect in, in, in different ways. But where do you think that credibility has, has come from? Cause you're, you're also not the first, you know, veteran or, or seal or, or special operator to, to, to write novels. And I'm, I'm sure that others did not get the same credibility and opportunities that you've gotten. Where do you think that comes from for you? I don't know. Um, you know, a lot of guys, when you go back and you, you, I do these things on my Instagram uh, where I post about um, uh, author's birthdays, like uh, uh, Jack Higgins or Robert Ludlum or Frederick Forsyth or, and I, and I, and when I first started doing that, um, my knowledge of their backgrounds, because some of them at the time I started doing it, hadn't written, Hey, here's one right here. Hadn't written autobiographies yet. Um, like here's Frederick Forsyth, but I started writing about that before he did, he did this. Um, and I found out that so many of these guys like served in world war II or served in, uh, Korea or had a touch point in, in the military or intelligence services. Everybody knows John Le Carre did, uh, of course. Mm -hmm. And now people know that Ian Fleming did. Um, but, uh, but a lot of other ones, uh, guys that grew up and started writing in that time frame also did, um, which was interesting. And then we kind of lost that for, for a while. Cause we weren't in continuous, um, combat, 
operations. Really, we stopped in Vietnam, and and uh, we have uh, Nelson DeMille, of course, uh, uh, served in, in Vietnam in the infantry, and uh, uh, obviously continues to, to write today. Is actually an incredible author. Oliver Stone, probably on the um, uh, mm-hmm. screenwriting and uh, and movie front, would be probably the most prominent Vietnam veteran I can think of right now. That uh, that uh, took his experiences and built off it, moving moving forward in uh, in Hollywood in the the writing and, and directing space. Um, but uh, so I think some of that credibility now comes from so much time in combat. Um, mm-hmm. So you could have been in the military before maybe, and then, but I, we had a lot of opportunity between September 11th and the time I got out in 2016 to actually do the job and, uh, and to take that and use those feelings and emotions and not just write a book about what I did because people, tons of people did way more than I could ever hope to have done in uniform. Um, but I can take like what it was like to be ambushed in Baghdad in 2006 and what that felt like. And I can take that and drop that into, oh, ambush in the streets of Los Angeles in uh, you know, 2018, 2019, 2020, whatever it might be, and take those feelings and emotions and apply them to that scenario. So I think that's some of it. Um, I do, I'm very um, specific about uh, weapon systems and that sort of thing because I was into gear before I got into the military during my time in the military and that continues today. So uh, the specific tools, I don't just Google Navy SEAL knife and then whatever pops up, take the first one and put it in my novel and just think I got it and it's not important. No, that knife is extremely important. Um, and it's a character in and of itself. That tomahawk is, uh, all the pistols, the rifles, everything used, the cars, the vehicles. That probably comes from being a child of the 80s and having every uh, television show have a, a vehicle that was also a character. Um, and uh, so I think some of it comes with that. And then probably the other part is that I'm I'm a student. Uh, I'm always, I was a student of warfare, uh, continue to be, um, and I'm a student of my craft and I'll always be. Um, and so when I go into these these meetings or whatever, Simon & Schuster or with, with, uh, with anybody in Hollywood, um, I'm there to learn and I'm there to add value. Uh, and I'm there to make the best product that I possibly can. And it's not a my way or the highway type thing. It's not, a, oh, I know uh, this worked for me over here. So that's what we're going to do now. Like it's, it's uh, I guess, I guess it's that team ability thing. That's a little bit mm-hmm. of an intangible and uh, you can't really like now, Antoine, he can choose his projects. Chris can choose his projects. Why do they choose to do to do this? Because they want to make cool stuff with people that are fun to be around. Um, that's it. They've gotten to that point where they can do that. Um, so I think there's whatever the, whatever that magic is, that secret sauce right there. I think that's a, a huge part of it. Like they don't have to do this uh, to get their next thing. They don't have to do this to to get their their next movie. Um, we get to do this together because we love making something that's creative. We love being collaborative together, and uh, we love leading on each other for our our, our strengths and uh, making something that is going to be um, kind of a, uh, we're, we're, what Chris always says is that we're making this for the guy or, or girl who went downrange and served in Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, so when they sit down on the couch, they at least know that we put in the effort to make a show that was geared for towards them uh, and not towards the critics. Um, and that's, uh, and that's fun to be in that position. Yeah, well said. Um, okay, so I've been ending the, the podcast here and that we can obviously plug this, this will go live the day that, that uh, only the dead, uh, is, oh, is released so we could chat, chat about that at the end but uh, or right at the very end but I've been ending the podcast with a bit of an open-ended question um, if there's anything that's on your heart or your mind 
uh, for our community right now, whether that's a piece of advice or whether it's just something you want to to put out there and talk about or, or anything? It's a bit open-ended, but is there anything in particular on your heart or your mind for our community uh, right now? Yeah, you know, I'd say it's the same thing I tell my kids and I try to, you know, live by the example is to never miss an opportunity to make somebody's day. And, um, and it's not a selfish thing, but it comes, does come back and help like this situation with Jared. Um, you know, I didn't mean to make his day. I didn't even know I was doing that, but he tells me today that I did and, uh, and he never forgot it. So, um, I tried to tell the kids, you know, it means you have to go like running around saving the day and then, and, uh, you know, run like a chicken with your head cut off. It's just, Hey, the opportunity presents itself to, to help somebody out and make their day, whether it's, uh, you know, helping somebody with their groceries, an older lady with their groceries into the car or whatever at the grocery store or whatever it might be, or connecting somebody or just going out of your way a little bit. Um, you know, I try to try to do that. So I think, uh, yeah, never miss an opportunity to, to make somebody's well said um well uh, listen i really appreciate your time um like i said uh big fan i uh, would love to, to ha have you back as these various projects get uh get released and um and um and and, and have uh continue the, the conversation um where can folks find you we'll, we'll tag everything um and we'll, we'll link out um where can folks find you where do you interact with with your fans the most yeah. So uh, on the social channels, it's Jack Carr USA and uh, mostly Instagram and Twitter. There's a, there is a Facebook and there is a, I think there's a LinkedIn, but two is, was enough. Like uh, that, that's, it, it's all me doing it. And uh, that was enough. So I think things repost every now and again to, to Facebook or something, but I don't interact there, but Instagram, I do interact and uh, try to thank as many people as I possibly can. Cause I feel so fortunate that people um, took a risk on me as a new author and then told a friend uh, or told 10 friends on social or a hundred or whatever they, whatever it might be. Um, it was really a, a grassroots effort uh, to get, uh, get these books out there where they are today. So, uh, so Instagram and, and Twitter, Jack Carr USA, and then officialjackcar.com. That is the website and people can go there and check out blogs and there'll be a book tour that'll, by the time this drops, the book tour will be, uh, have started and the, the dates will be up there and locations. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty easy to find. Awesome. Yeah, I'll be looking if you're if you're going to be in D.C. or or anywhere close to Richmond, uh, I'll definitely try to try to come by. Uh, listen, thank you so much for what you do. I wasn't an operator or infantry, just a flight line guy. Um, but the the details of of your novels and and of the the TV series, uh, you know, goes 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 to every level. Um, so thank you so much for for what you do, um, both to to entertain us uh, as well as to support support the community uh, and the military in this country. Oh, no, thank you so much. Thanks for your time in uniform as well and for what you're doing now. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll link up in person one of these days. We'll do it. Thanks, Jack. Awesome. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.